Welcome to NHASCD Spotlight. It's our podcast from the New Hampshire Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development. My name is Bill Carroza, the Executive Director. Our podcast today is sponsored by Lexia and their program, Lexia Core 5 Reading. Before I introduce our great guest today, I want to remind our listeners of our professional development workshops coming really soon in October. We have Steve Ventura on October 5th. He's going to be talking about achievement teams, a better approach to PLCs. And then later in the month, Peter DeWitt's coming in, the the wonderful author, Peter DeWitt, October 26th. That's co-sponsored with the Principals Association. Peter's going to be talking about de-implementation, creating the space to focus on what works. And you can register for those conferences at nhascd.org. We have a math series coming up uh, in November as well as in the spring, so stay tuned for that as well. Well, our guest today is an old friend, New Hampshire educator, Christine Downing. Uh, Her roles have included working for the Department of Ed, a consultant in math and school improvement, Common Core and state assessment systems. She's a former middle school math and science teacher in Nashua. She's had various SAU roles in the Upper Valley, Newport, Lebanon, and Claremont related to being superintendent and CIA. We we love the term CIA, Curriculum Instruction and Assessment. Uh, Her last five years, she's had a dual role. This is where really I got to know her best. Uh, She was a K-5 principal and a PK-12 to curriculum director in Kearsarge. Her current role is Director of Curriculum Instruction and Assessment for SAU 32, which includes Plainfield, SAU 75, Grantham, and SAU 100 in Cornish. I think it's the only person I know in the state who works for three SAUs simultaneously. (laughs) Pretty amazing, uh, Christine. Uh, Her current project uh, as a volunteer, but she's had significant experience in this, is to gather specific feedback on Ed 306, which is what we're going to be talking about today, from school leaders and educators. She is passionate about supporting public schools and competency-based learning in New Hampshire. Christine, thanks for spending some time with us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Bill. Yeah, it's an honor. So, you know, all these years you've worked in the 306s at the Department of Ed. Uh, You probably never thought this subject would be quite as, well, controversial and in the news and of interest because anything in the ed laws is a little bit geeky. Let's face it, right? It's not, we're not talking about project-based learning or flipped learning. We're talking about really ed rules. I wonder if we could start And we didn't talk about talking about this, but I know you'd be fine with this. Just talk about the fact that there are ed rules. They're kind of like laws. They're kind of like RSAs, but they are guidelines. They're stronger than guidelines, really, that teachers, administrators really have to follow. And we don't talk about it much. I would venture to guess that most teachers and definitely most parents don't have a clue what the ed 306s are so if you could just talk a, a bit about just the ed laws 306s are just one piece of that you you are totally right it's it's i i call myself a legal geek um because <laughs> i do enjoy that aspect of it and when i was at the department of ed through my various roles you know i i participated in a lot of review sessions around these ed rules and like you said it's not just the 306s there's plenty of ed, other ed rules that we have out there. You know, for example, um, Ed 306 is just part of the whole chapter of Ed 300, which talks about superintendent roles, school board roles, right, et cetera, facilities, other things are in it. I mean, even in the Ed 300s, there's 318, which deals with charter schools in the state of New Hampshire, you know, and I think, um, and we have the 400s, which deal with our non-public schools. We have the 500s, which deal with, um, educator certification and code of conduct. 
Uh, we have the Ed 600s, which deal with post-secondary school approval programs, right? Um, I, the, I think the latest Ed rule that kind of hit the surface was the Ed 1400 rules, which we know is part of the Learn Everywhere initiative right. that's come through the last few years. Um, and so the ED 306s, by their very nature, they are more than just a recommendation. You know, one of the big links they have is um, to our RSA 193E, which governs adequate education. Um, and we know that is certainly controversial in the state. It's been for going past three decades now, right? And we're all here waiting to hear about the Conval lawsuit in this regard. Right. But it's the, it's the 193E, that RSA, that really set the state up for these ED 306 rules, because it's in that RSA that it actually says the Department of Education is going to set, I mean, the words, the phrases are right in it, the minimum school approval standards for public school to help define what we mean by that phrase, adequate education. I mean, often what we hear a lot today is about the funding concerns related to an adequate education. But I don't want people to forget that there's a whole body of rules out there that stipulate this is what we define from a curriculum instruction and an assessment programming perspective, what defines adequate education. I mean, we can all go back to the days of Claremont and now Conval, where we know zip codes have been an influence on the level mm -hmm. of quality of education in our state, right? So right. the very premise of these rules is to take some of those gaps and reduce them between communities. That's our theory. Has it lived in practicality? I, I think there's room for debate on either side, right? But I think that Ed rules, you're right. Teachers, our, our families, our communities probably don't know them, you know, at all or or what their purpose is. And, and I think it's important that all people understand what the Ed 306 rules do for our public school systems. Now, I should have said this in your bio, but there, I'm guessing there's probably no one in New Hampshire that knows more about the Ed 306s than you, or maybe is as passionate for it. And I think the fact that that the rationale for that isn't just to hold people accountable and be mean, it's to help even out the services, the education that we give all kids uh, in our state. If we could back up a little bit. Now, you work when you worked for the Department of Ed, you worked in the 306s. What was the process like at, at that level? Back then. Sure. So, yeah, so I worked on the um, Ed 306s um, originally when we had the whole co conversation about competency based education coming out, you know, in the early 2000s, around 2003 and four. Um, and what would that look like and what would models look like and how would we blend that in to the minimum school approval standards? And of course, at that time, the real push with competency based ed was at the high school level. So there was a right. lot of attention onto the ed rules in terms of the high school um, uh, section of the rules that would support a shift to competency-based education. So what the process, you know, and, and by um, RSA, the ed rules have to be updated about every 10 years. So we're actually on pace to that because the last major go through with the ed rules was around 2013, 14, not much really changed in them. Um, there were some additions in different components. One was around competency-based ed, which is another passion of mine, um, you know, that, that actually uh, expanded this notion that competency-based ed didn't just live at a high school level. Right. Um, so I think, you know, the process that, that we used in the past was 
we didn't necessarily take all the rules at once and do a complete review of the entire rules from start to finish. We would always look at the rules and their connections to many other things going on in the state. Let me give you an example of what it looked like. So when I was at the Department of Ed, at the time, we had a well-established certification area for reading specialists. However, and, and that was a big push, and that got written into the 306 rules that every elementary school would have the services of a reading specialist. That was the age of reading recovery. You know, I don't, I don't want to go down the, the, the debate now around <laughs> literacy, right? Of but course. At the time, I was math consultant at the Department of Ed, and we were looking at, well, um, understanding numeracy and the importance of mathematical concepts is just as important at the elementary level as literacy skills, right? So we put together a plan to actually create the elementary math specialist endorsement. Well, you know, that falls under the ED 500 rules, but we had to look at what were the math curriculum instruction and assessment standards expected at an elementary and middle school level? Um, and how would that certification support the rules in the ED 306? So the process of the Department of Ed when I was there is when we were looking at any set of rules, we always came back to what impact do they have in the 306 and how do we make them align? So often we would run review sessions directly with educators, directly with school leaders, pull them into, I remember pulling them into the room 15 at the Department of Ed in the, in the bottom mm -hmm. level of it. Yep. Um, and we would look at the existing rules and say, does this still work for our schools? Is it still viable? Is it a practical? Like, I mean, rules are great, but we don't want to make them so pie in the sky that they're not attainable, right? right. Um, I mean, go to the name of the rules, minimum standards. So I always like to say they're the floor in the room that everybody should be guaranteed to have, right? So we got to take that lens and say, are these actually actionable standards that local schools and districts can meet and can attain and not something out there that they likely can't attain. And, and it feels like a spinning wheel. You know, how do I uh, get caught up and be the high quality system that I want to have if I can't have attainable rules? And so the process typically was we would bring educators and school leaders together. We would look at the rules. We would go through several feedback rounds. Um, and we would collect that evidence. We would then take it, you know, we would we would have a, a writing committee um, made up of not only DOE folks, but people from the field as well, you know, and then we'd offer the recommendation uh, to the to the state board of ed. Um, there may be some back and forth. And then obviously, once they were like, yep, we're good, you've done enough re, uh, feedback, you've you've solicited enough feedback, what you're proposing makes sense, then it would go into rulemaking. And that was kind of how the process went when I was at the Department of Ed. And it's important for people to know that ultimately the State Board of Education is the group that approves the, in this case, the Ed 306s. Correct. All the Ed rules are at the discretion of the State Board of Ed. Yep. Right. And people that don't even realize there's a Department of Ed, which you could say are the bureaucrats, the people that get the work done. And then the State Board of Education pointed positions and they actually you know, make the decisions. So this round, uh, just to, to bring it a little bit to the present day, uh, the commissioner and the Department of Ed realized that we needed to update the Ed 306s. They enlisted the services of the National Center for Competency-Based Learning. Partly, I, I'm assuming that 
Commissioner Edelblue did that partly because competency-based learning is something that we, you know, is part of our rules, really part of what we do. Uh, Fred Bermonti being the leader of that. And so they got the probably the first swing at the Ed 306s. And then the Department of Ed reached out to us at NHASCD. And we did a kind of a nice couple day review. You were part of that, about 40 mm-hmm. educators, and then take it from there. So from there, it went back, I think, to the DOE. And where do we stand now? There's listening sessions, and you can talk about that. Sure, absolutely. So as you mentioned, Bill, I was part of the two-day event that New Hampshire ASCD put on in Laconia with, I think we had like 45 educators, you know, yeah. all across the state representing different aspects of the content areas that we teach and that we're held accountable to those 306 rules. Um And and I left those two days with a clear message from the educators in the room. And the message I left with was that they did not feel just having those 45 educators in that that one-time experience was enough to get feedback from more practitioners in the field. And by practitioners, I mean our teachers. I mean our school leaders. You know, I know that the listening sessions are happening. Fred Bramante and the ED306 task force are running those. Um, I've attended a couple. We hosted one in my former district that I was at. And I find the listening sessions to be more just an overview of here's the process we used as an ED306 task force to develop the drafts. Here's what are some of the major highlights. But what I kind of, as I went through the listening session, said, wait a minute, we're missing an important voice. And that goes back to those two November days. We're missing the voice of the practitioner in the field who ultimately is going to be responsible to implement these ed rules, right? Sure. At, at the end of the day, our schools are the ones that are going to scrutinize this and, and figure out how do I provide programming to, to make sure I meet these requirements, right? So where where they stand now? So what happened is after those two days, I actually reached out to some folks at the Department of Education. I reached out to Fred. Fred and I have known each other since early competency days back at the Department of Ed. He and I share that same passion for competency-based education. Um, I reached out to him and I said, I understand the point of your listening sessions. I get it. But unless people have time to spend with the standards, looking at the standards, and, and more specifically, the standards that are relevant to their role or position, the listening sessions are really just, you know, people provide very broad feedback. And I'm not sure that's what you want in terms of making a doc- document that's going to be implemented at a practical level in each school in New Hampshire. So between reaching out to Fred, um, you know, and it took some time. Um, and I know that the draft that the ED306 task force I know that there was a draft before we had the two November days that was presented to the teachers at that point. The teachers gave some really good feedback and that draft got adjusted. And that draft is what I believe, based on the feedback from those 45 educators, is what got presented on March 9th to the state board. Um, and and that's when I became a little bit vocal, Bill, in this process, because <laughs> I was I was very, yeah, not me. You know me too well. I was very <laughs> fearful that the state board was going to simply adopt those. And once they do, once they put them into rulemaking, the feedback opportunity is done. So I did actually provide written testimony to the board and said, wait, I really think what we did in November in Laconia can be replicated and we can respect 
the feedback from that very same group who said, get more feedback from educators, right? You, you and I were at that day. We know we had a lot of people, what we called singletons, right? Like yeah. I remember working with a middle school teacher and she was focused on PE and she kept saying to me, but I, I've only been teaching middle school PE. I have no idea what elementary should be in high school. And I don't feel comfortable saying this, this entire set of P, of physical ed standards from you know, kindergarten through 12th grade is right. I, I can look at middle school, right? And that stuck with me. And I thought, you know, we got we need to at least provide the opportunities. And so the process right now is the board looked at them. They they basically said, yep, they tabled them. That's when the listening session idea really um, prompted. And Fred became involved in setting those up with, with local superintendents. Um, and that's when I kind of connected with him after he'd done a couple, I think three or four. And I said, Fred, I, I think we can go one more step besides just having a general community um, night where people come and they hear the overview. Uh, let's actually put practitioners in, in a room for a couple hours looking at specific sections. And that's where the idea of this educate, what we call educator review sessions of the 306s have come to play. Well, more coming up with our good friend, NHASED member, longtime member and supporter and curriculum expert, Christine Downing. But first, our podcast today is sponsored by Lexia. Founded on 20 years of research into the science of reading and evidence-based approaches, Lexia Core 5 Reading helps learners read, write, and speak with confidence. Core 5 follows an adaptive blended learning model that offers systematic personalized reading guidance that helps educators deliver effective literacy instruction based on each student's specific needs. The 2021-22 State Progress Report shows how Core 5 impacted New Hampshire students' progress and the results are nothing short of remarkable. At the start of the school year, 55% of students using Core 5 with fidelity met or exceeded their grade level. Incredibly, that number increased to 94% by the end of the school year. Again, this is 21-22. And the percentage of students working below grade level decreased from 45% to 6%. To learn more about how Lexia Core 5 reading can help your students thrive in literacy, visit LexiaLearning.com. And big thanks to Lexia for sponsoring uh, the podcast today. So, Christine, to back up maybe a little bit, can you give us some examples of what the Ed 306s even look like? Maybe even read some. You know, we kind of know what they are and they're standards based. But I think especially for parents or frankly, even any, any other educators, it might be good to know what they look and sound like. Sure. So the Ed Rules 306, and I think this was an original charge of the ED 306 task force, but I, I, I can't, you know, confirm um, that this is accurate. But I think one of the things is that over time they have grown expansive, right? And they can be very overwhelming. I mean, they're hundreds of pages, right? Um, and what they really cover uh, is different sections of programming in public schools. Let me give you some examples. So one of the things I think that in the first draft that was presented to the teacher group back in November um, is this notion that they needed to be condensed. Maybe they were almost too specific and too overwhelming that people couldn't adequately track them all the time, right? Um, but they cover things like what policy requirements should be on the books, you know, what the local school board should have in, in a variety of ways. And that policy list is growing exponentially year by year, as we know. 
there's a section called school philosophy, like how you should establish your school philosophy. There's a section on school culture and climate. Um, and you jump to um, sections on school facilities, for example. There's food and nutrition services sections in there. There's school health sections, even though that links later to what school nurses need to do, which is a whole separate set of RSAs right. and ed rules, right? Then there's staff qualifications that are listed in it. Professional development, ED 306 is tied to the requirements in ED 500 for school districts to have a master professional development plan, right? You, you've got, you've got um, school year calendars. Have this whole um, discussion that's been permeating throughout New Hampshire probably for the last decade now between school hours versus school days, right? What defines a school year calendar? Class sizes, recommendations on class sizes are in there. You have alternative programs, you have distance education, you have assessment standards in there. And then there's a whole other section right? That breaks down by all the content areas from English language arts to math, to science, to social studies. The newest add to it is um, um, Holocaust and genocide education right. has been added, right? And, and um, civics also, soon, right? I mean, that'll be in yeah, there very quickly. Civics has actually been embedded under the social studies. The interesting thing I think I would point out to listeners right now, and we've all seen this, is with PragerU and the whole conversation around right. the um, personal financial literacy courses at the right. high school. Well, interesting enough, even though that was put into law, th there hasn't been any ED 306 standards written specifically to that course, that if you actually want to find a general framework for what, what we mean by um, personal financial literacy at you know, the, at the public school level, you have to actually look in the business education standards right now. I did actually reach out to Nate Green the other day at the department, and he did say that because personal financial literacy also got listed as a separate topic area in the adequate education rules, there's conversation now about whether that personal financial literacy can be embedded in something else, which is what a lot of people are doing right now for this school year, because right. they need to have it in place versus now it needs to be a standalone course, which that's going to change graduation requirements at high school. So see how once the ball starts rolling, there's multiple connections. Um, so it, it covers a myriad. I mean, it actually, the existing version right now has 49 different sections in it. So picture you got ED 306.01.02 all the way up to 0.49. The draft that is out there right now from the March 9th board, uh, board meeting actually shrinks it down to 44 different sections. Okay. Um, so, you know, was there condensing? Absolutely. One of the areas I know condensed in the new version is um, that policy section I talked about. Um, that tended to re repeat itself in certain areas. Like when you went to high school, it would repeat, oh, you got to have this policy. I think the task force did a good job of looking at and saying, look, we're going to bump this all up to policy. That condensed the document. Right. You know, right. one of the things I will share with, with the public is there has been some conversation around the removal of the word local next to school board in, in the, the 306s. And, you know, I think part of that was just simply a condensing 
of the amount of standards and the information contained in them. But it has triggered in, in the sessions I've run so far with educators, they're actually advocating put the word local back in front of school board in all the sections. Because what happens from a practical standpoint, and this is what I've shared with Fred, is that sometimes removing these simple words, we we think that's okay. And we'll put the definition up front because there is a whole definition section that starts the 306s. And local school board is defined in the opening section as just that, the local school board, right? But what happens is in a practical approach, when people go to use these standards, and this is why it's important practitioners have a say in this process, when we go to use these standards at a local level, we if we have a concern about, oh, our class sizes, we don't start from the beginning of the standards and read through everything up to class size. We go find that section. Now, here, here's where I say, if that section only says school board in it, people are questioning what school board are you talking about, local or state? That's right. why I, one of the major themes coming back from the field that I'm seeing is put local back into the sections because from a practical standpoint, we look at sections as we need them. And to have something defined up front in the definition, you know, people aren't always going to see that. And that can cause, you know, some concern. Right. When everything is said and done and the board, state board, that is <laughs> not the local board, the state board actually approves this. And, and we don't know when it could be summer. Who knows? Right. What shape will they be in in terms of accessibility. You talked about the expanse of it, and there are people right now rolling their eyes at 40-some sections. In terms of teachers, we'll leave administrators out of it because administrators are used to plowing through these sort of things, but it's in terms of teachers and parents, will there be a way of going to the Ed306s and actually learning something about what the minimum requirements are for their, their kids in our schools? I would absolutely love to see that, Bill. I mean, that would be a another project I'd be willing to, to work on um, with the state. Because one of the things I've always said, even when I was at the Department of Ed, is we need to make the 306s searchable. Meaning, I mean, right now, you know, you you actually have to pull up the ED 300 entire chapter and go through it all, right? right? So it needs to be searchable. I think one of the ways the Department of Ed does help, though, to bring the 306s to a practical approach is they do offer technical advisories. They've done that for years. I still think that's a very good practice. Uh, and, and I would like them to really think about once the, this draft is, you know, it's finally solidified. Because keep in mind, when it goes into rulemaking, that's when the attorneys start looking at it from a legal perspective, you know, and th there will be some perhaps educational jargon thrown out because it just can't be tested legally, right? I mean, these are rules that are going to be com coming up in court cases should that need ever ar arise for, you know, um, defining adequate education. So attorneys are going to take a look at it. They got to make sure the language, you know, is going to be appropriate. Um, and so I think what needs to happen is once these rules are solidified, they're approved, they're done, they've gone through rulemaking, et cetera, right? Um, there needs to be, it, that shouldn't be the end of the journey. The journey then should be, okay, let's go back out and let's say, these are the changes in the ed rules. This is how you can get more accessibility to them, how they're more user-friendly, and if tech advisories need to be written, they are, and they're paired with it. Um, you know, I really would like to see, you know, on the Department of Ed website and opportunities for these rules to take on really good in 
in curriculum instruction and assessment programming guidance for public schools. And I think they have that potential, especially if we are really saying these rules are to move competency-based ed forward in the state even more than what we've done. And let's face it, in the last two decades, I hate to say that, but competency-based ed is not new in New Hampshire. Um, It's at least 20 years old. I, I mean, as I said, I went back to 2003 when I was sitting around the table with some key competency-based ed folks, you know, one of them being Rose Colby, our own New Hampshire, you know, leader in that effort. And, um, you know, we had good aspirations, but we did miss the mark. And I say we, because I was at the department then, but we did miss the mark on implementation. And that's the part that I would like to see happen once these rules are solidified. Yeah. So the Christine Downey tour is going to be continuing. In fact, you must have swag for this tour, like, you know, uh, tour shirts and things like that. But anyway, so because you care deeply about the, not just at 306s, but about our community of educators, you've got some events coming up. And I know uh, today's the 31st. I think this podcast is going to drop tomorrow, the beginning of the month. So talk about where you're going to be. Absolutely. So yes, I do. I've I've run three sessions already. We did a few towards the end of the last school year. I did one most recently here in mid-August um, up in the Upper Valley in Lebanon. Um, again, as you mentioned, Bill, I'm just a volunteer. I'm an I'm a educational leader that's been in the state that believes in public school and believes this is an opportunity to really support and move our public schools forward. And in that vein, I, I do put a full disclaimer. I'm not vetted by the Department of Ed. I'm, you know, not a member of the ED 306 task force, you know, although I partner with Fred, Fred's aware of my work, as well as other organizations. So I do have to put a shout out because it's my local schools that are like opening up their doors to me and saying, hey, come on out and they, you know, host and, you know, get educators in the room. So I have to give a shout out for that. But I do have an event coming up. All the events run from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. Um, and anybody that shows up, educators, school leaders, get a certificate for professional development hours so they can apply that to their certification needs. But I have one coming up on September 7th that is actually going to be in the NEA New Hampshire location in Concord. Um, I'm really super excited to partner with NEA because I think that's I'm going to get the educator voice. Um, I have one coming up out in the Hampton area. SAU 21 is going to sponsor it. And they are drawing in all the districts from that area. And then I have actually, and this one's actually open to everyone, although it's sponsored by North Country Education Services out of Gorham. Lori Langloy up there is the executive director, uh, known her for quite a while. And that's a Zoom actually on September 12th. I think I missed the Hampton date. The Hampton date is September 11th. So we have Concord September 7th. We have Hampton area September 11th and really targeting our North Country via Zoom, September 12th. Um, I, As you said, Bill, I'm not sure of the timeline. Nobody is sure of the timeline. Um, I do tell school leaders, I've, I've sent it through New Hampshire School Administrators Association, NHASCD, and New Hampshire Association of Schools Principals, and said, look, if there's any school leaders out there that want to do a session, I actually can jump on a call in 30 to 40 minutes with them, and they can facilitate their own. The, the resources are all set up, materials are ready to go. Um, so if there's anybody out there interested, absolutely contact me. Because I'm going to push the window. I've heard now I may be able to push till late September because before I was I was trying to hit mid-September mark because I wasn't really sure. But 
I'd like to get as much feedback as we can. And then the plan is to synthesize all that data, present it to the board to say, you know, we held this many sessions. Um, the way I'm collecting the data, I can actually tell you how many educators reviewed each part of the 306s, their general feedback, and I'm putting together qualitative what their their written feedback is in terms of proposed changes. And my guess is the state board's not going to even look at this at their September 14th meeting. I think they have they have other issues they're going to be dealing with on that day. So I think we do have at least till October, if, if not farther. If people want to get involved with the Zoom on the 12th, uh, how do they get the URL for that? Um, they can just email me directly. And right now I'm just using my own personal email. It's Christine with a C-H dot Downing, D-O-W-N-I-N-G, 68 at gmail.com. Um, and I mean, we're trying to pump this out as many ways as we can um, through organizations and get it out. Like I'm getting ready to blast something I wanted to give. Most schools are back right this week. And I want to give everybody a breather for that first week. And then next week, I was going to resend some more information to different organizations. I send it to the superintendents, et cetera. So, you know, anybody listening, if you can, uh, you know, I would say, knock on the door of your superintendent and ask them if they've gotten information about this um, or email me directly. That's perfectly fine as well. Well, watch your inbox. It may be full <laughs> here in the next few days. We'll see. Christine, thank you so much for spending the time and, and more importantly, for just having the passion for educators and for kids for, for decades now, right? Three decades yeah. anyway. Yeah. I, you know, I'm a pro product of public school and I believe in it. And I, I still believe it is one of the defining characteristics that makes our society unique. Um, and, and I think there are many doors to open. And when I partner that belief about public schools with what competency-based education can offer us in terms of, of really setting personalized learning paths for students, uh, I think New Hampshire can really rock it. Yeah. What a great way to end the podcast. Thank you. Well, for more information on NHASCD and our conference series, head to our website, nhascd.org. You can follow us on Twitter or X, Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to serve as a catalyst for conversation and action to inspire excellence in teaching, learning, and leading. You can contact me at bill at nhascd.org. And also thanks to our sponsor, Lexia, for sponsoring the podcast today. I'm Bill Carosa. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time for NHASCD Spotlight. Take care, everybody.